Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Pretend Worlds Real People. As always, I'm Tyler. And quick disclaimer, this episode was recorded before the SAG strike took place. So anything we talk about in this episode was discussed before the strike went into action. Now, let's get right into it. I feel like it's been forever since I've done an intro to one of these episodes since the strike went into action. Uh, so I'm just going to get right into it uh, because I have no idea where I'm going to go with this. Uh, so let's just talk about our guest. I had a fantastic time chatting with this incredibly talented, award-winning director, producer, writer, author by the name of Steve Balderson. Now, during this interview, unfortunately, he couldn't go into his office because there was a, I think it was a cleaning going on. Uh, so we were chatting while he was, you know, just hanging out on a, on a bench outside in California. So if you hear any traffic noises that sort of made it through whatever was tuned out, I sincerely apologize, but the interview is worth it nonetheless. We talked about so much and he was such an open person. I just, I hope I get to chat with him again at some point in the future. It was just an absolute joy getting to hear his story, and just, yeah, really diving into it. So, without further ado, please help me in welcoming the amazing Steve Balderson. I am Steve Balderson, and I am primarily a film director, although I've also, as of late, the last couple of years, uh, become well i've written stuff before but not being published as an author um and i would say just overall artist i mean i love painting and photography and music and i mean i don't ever tell anyone this but you know in 1999 i did do a record that had a hit on one of the college radio like networks or whatever and it's <laughs> embarrassing i mean i'm really happy that like social media didn't exist <laughs> because <laughs> no one knows about these although i mean i'm not ashamed of them but anyway i've i've i'm just general all encompassing artists but primarily a filmmaker yeah did so did uh did filmmaking start first for you or like an appreciation for it did that start first when you were younger or what part of art uh caught your attention when you were a kid well, visual storytelling in general was always sort of where I felt totally at home. But when I was literally like four or five years old, my grandfather gave me a camcorder and I went home and bossed my siblings around and the neighborhood children to make them do things. But it felt like when I held the camera and I put my eye through the viewfinder and could see the thing, that's when I felt sort of like, oh, this is my language. You know, and it's just, I was so young, I, I don't know if I knew how to articulate it, but it just felt so right, you know, and, and that continued, you know, and I, I would make home movies, you know, that were dramatic and exciting, you know, and, and I mean, terrible, I'm sure I, I need to dig <laughs> them out and put them online. Um, and I did that through middle school, through high school, and you know, there was a minute when somebody said, oh, you should get a real job, you know, plan for the future, whatever. And so I studied architecture for like a couple of years, you know, in high school, but then um, went to film school and uh, left that 
and at 18, you know, went back home and started putting together my production company and made my first feature film. And I, and, and that movie um, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival at the market and we licensed it all over the globe. And um, because that model worked, I thought, well, I guess I'll just do that again. And I did the second one and we raised money and I, you know, that came out and it was on Roger Ebert's list of the best films that year. So I, being so young, I didn't know how not common that was. I just, <laughs> oh, I, had, sure. I had just, I, I didn't, how would I know? Cause I, I had nothing to compare it to. And I grew up in Kansas. So there weren't other people around me doing the same thing. I was so far removed from the Hollywood you know, system that, I didn't know that it was rare and I did that for 20 years and, and still, and still am. But, uh, you know, it occurred to me, you know, it, uh, three or four movies into it, that it was a unique situation, but I didn't, I didn't know it before. <laughs> <laughs> did it, did it ever, uh, did it ever hit you after those three or four movies that it was so uncommon? Like did something happen or did somebody say something to let you acknowledge that? Um. A little. I mean, it was so interesting because even after the first movie, you know, I don't remember how I did. I think Sally Kirkland introduced us, but I ended up being introduced to Dennis Hopper and he invited me to come out and go to his house. And we were talking about him being in my second film. And uh, I don't know if I knew that that was rare, but at one point it did occur to me that, you know, people would say, oh, you're not supposed to do it that way, you know, or, or you can't do it that way. And I both come from a viewpoint of if you tell me that I can't do something, I will deliberately do it, even if I don't want to, you know, it's like, yeah. you can't have those olives. And I'm like, I don't even want the olives, but I'm just going to eat them because <laughs> you told me I can't, you know, and <laughs> But people will always say, oh, you can't make a movie that way. I mean, still to this day, people tell me that. And I say, I've done it 17 times. What are you talking about? But it's like they don't they don't have any concepts of another way of doing it. But that's the only way I've known, you know, all these years. Yeah. I, you know, it is funny uh, thinking back on what you said about, you know, growing up and, and having that camcorder. I feel like that's a marker for people who are just so innately driven to be filmmakers is that like you said it's your way of communicating it's your visual medium yeah. uh getting a camcorder and immediately directing your siblings and neighborhood kids to to be a part of it so totally. i do want to touch on you know going into film school and then working on your own film was there any sort of uh shock to okay now i'm doing this professionally or was it pretty fluid um it was fluid but i did notice that in I learned more on the very first day directing my first feature film than I ever had in film school. And the thing that I take away from that is, I mean, I, I learned a lot of life lessons and I learned, you know, about how to be away from home as an adult and, you know, all those things, but I didn't learn as much about film uh, as you'd think, you know? And so I always encourage people who are maybe thinking about going to film school or not you know, uh, save your money, you know, put it towards, um, I mean, take some workshops if you want. I mean, I love learning. Learning's a lot of fun. Um, 
but there are other ways you, you to learn by doing is much better than you know theoretically talking about doing yeah yeah oh absolutely i am i'm feeling that with my uh you know university degree that i haven't really touched much in the last eight years or so uh yeah that i just think it's really cool that you you hit the ground running and you had your first film it went to can and i do want to touch on something i i'd like to nerd out about and that's the the creative process of writing and outlining mm. a script. What's your, what's your process? Like, I always love these different answers I get from guests. Well, it, it's interesting because I don't know when I figured this out, but at some point, I mean, I, I did, I was aware because we were taught this in school, which was, um, you know, every form, you know, there are only three or four forms known to man, you know, and a cup is the same form as an ashtray, which is the same form as a cereal bowl. It's just presented for a different purpose, you know, and it's designed differently and it has a different shape, but overall the form of it is the same. So I would model movies. And if I took three movies that were similar, and maybe they didn't even have to be similar, but they had a similar structure, then the structure and the floor plan or what makes a movie, the backbone and the skeleton, um, you can see how identical in most cases, many of them are. And when you remove the subtext and the, the, the details, you know, and you just look at the skeleton and you become really, really keenly aware of the different skeletons that make up a story, whether that's the hero's journey or whether it's, you know, uh, a different one of them. You know, I don't remember what all the names of them are, but I, I, I can <laughs> I can recognize the structure and say, okay, you know, I have this new concept, this new movie, I have this new story. First, let's identify the structure. You know, which structure is best suited to tell this story? And then once you have the structure, then what I do is, uh, I start there because it's like building a house. You really do have to know the floor plan before you start going to buy lumber. And some writers will just sit down and start, you know, and I think that's romantic in some ways, but I also think it's a little, uh, frivolous. I mean, it's a yeah. little, you know, without knowing where you're going, uh, you'll in, it'll, it'll seem like that when you're watching or reading it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like to just sort of reverse engineer it from the skeleton. And then at the same time, think about um, the end result, the target market. You know, who is watching this movie? Who uh, likes this kind of movie? Whatever type it is. And part of, I'm going to get back to your question in a minute, but I, I just, <laughs> I, I feel like I can tell how <laughs> diverting I am. Like now I'm saying, well, you know, if, uh, one of my greatest artistic achievements is also one of my greatest financial failures, which is combining genre. So, you know, I, I have done almost all of the genres and yet until my newest movie, just the one I'm working on now, I um, have never done a pure categorically defined niche of a genre ever, because it's always like I've done horror and comedy and smash them together. Or I've done, you know, campy and really, really heavy and smashed them together. And that's why 
people like Kevin from the Backstreet Boys or Jane from the Go-Go's or um, Daniel C. from the L Word want to work with me because it's artistically interesting. Um, but then when it comes time to sell and distribute, you know, people don't know how to put it into a box. And so sometimes you risk people not seeing it because there's not an easy way to market it. But going back to your question about how to write and what I do with a write <laughs> is I found that like one piece of paper, you can't quite do it in a computer document. I mean, you could if you made like a grid, but I learned like a college ruled piece of white notebook paper has on average 24 or 25 lines on it. And if you break up each one of those lines into, you could, I, I, let's just start with five. Each space represents five minutes. And when I did my first movie, I wrote this sort of outline where, okay, within the first five minutes, this has to happen. And then in the next five minutes, this thing happens. And then we're at 10 minutes. So at either 10 minutes or like every 10 minutes, something exciting should happen <laughs> is sort of how I thought about it. So I would then, you know, go down and sort of circle 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and the, the movie's over, right? And if you think about it, five minutes is not a long time no. uh, in storytelling. So if if you have like one scene, the opening credits and the introduction to another scene that takes five minutes. So if you've already then gotten into your sixth minute of your movie, you know, what's the next five, what, what happens after that? It's, it's interesting how quickly that sheet of paper fills up. And once it does, you can, and you examine the structure of it. Um, you know, you can really sort of say, well, does this need to happen later? Does this need to happen earlier? Um, is act one, you know, taking action into act two where, you know, you can see all this stuff so that then when you sit down and you're in your uh, final draft or your, you know, a screenwriting software or whatever you use, um, you have the outline. So I always say there's no such thing as writer's block if you have your outline and you can just start wherever you want. And if, you know, scene, if this scene at the dinner table is super vivid to me, why don't I write that first? Because I can just see it clear as day, you know, and worry about the other ones later. Or go ahead and start and you're, you're working on the story and you're writing it and you get to a scene, you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm feeling that today or I, it's not clear to me today. Um, jump ahead to one that is, you know, and work on that. Because the first draft of anything you do, no one will ever see unless you show them, you know? And... If you if you want to show them, fine, but that you don't have to. It's like do your first thing. Like if you come up to a piece of dialogue and and you don't know what they should say, but you know it's kind of about this thing, I put it in brackets, and I just I say I hate this. This is not what they're going to say, but I'm going to come back to this later. You know, just as a way to keep going. And once you're done, then you can go back. You know, edit yourself later because the first draft of something is not going to be published you know, or gilded in the museum, like no one will ever see it. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It can have spelling errors and format errors and like dumb stuff. It doesn't matter. But that's a way to sort of free up, you know, give yourself the freedom to just do it. Yeah, essentially. Oh, my God, I'm nerding out so hard over here. Uh, I know I just love 
as um, I was somebody who wanted to be and still am practicing, you know, being a screenwriter before I ever became an actor. So I love hearing, you know, the, mm. the different outline processes and just how our minds work. It's just the coolest thing. And I do want to pivot into, you know, the fact that you've written so many novels as well. You know, is, is that process pretty similar to you uh, writing a, you know, a book or where is your mindset there? Well, the books came about a little differently because I the first three were all about filmmaking. And my first one, Filmmaking Confidential, all of these are available anywhere books are sold. Um, filmmaking Confidential and the newest one are both on Audible also. Um, but there is no audiobook for How to Find Investors and then The Master Plan, which is about scheduling your movie. Um, but in Filmmaking Confidential, what I did was each basic topic you know it's like the screenwriting screenwriting chapter if you will you know has this kind of stuff in that i just mentioned to you um it also has a little bit you know a couple of other things which screenwriters don't like hearing this and especially the writers on strike right now screenplays are pretty worthless worthless and by that i mean they're also just they're they're not meant to be read they're meant to be watched and listened to so if you treat the screenplay as a map for what you should be doing and the story arc of your outline of your movie <clears throat> gives the dialogue to the actors who know what they have to say, you know, those are all important. Everything's important, of course. But whatever you write evolves when you're filming it and there are changes made. And then it evolves yet again uh, when you're editing it. So the end result of whatever it is you're doing will never be the same as the screenplay. And um, that was hard to understand for me at first. Like I was so determined on my first movie to like have everything exactly the way it was written. <laughs> I, I didn't think about it that way until later on. Um, but the, writing the books was easier because the, they're more anecdotal. You know, it's also a little bit of how to, it's like, how did I do it? You know, and what, how did, you know, it's a how to book basically. Um, and then I would teach workshops every now and again about like how to find investors and stuff like that. And once, you know, somebody asks me the question, well, how do you, and it takes me five hours to answer the question. I realize I can't afford this five hour time of, you know, time every time somebody asks me this question. So I ought to just put it in a book and say, here, read this, you know, and then yeah. I just saved myself five hours. Um, but yeah, those, those were different. Whereas like the, the new one, the memoir had a whole different story. So year of the whore, which is an erotic memoir that's out now. I was telling this story to a friend of mine who happens to be a publisher with punk hostage press. And she said, will you write this in a memoir? I'll publish it. And I said, oh, nobody cares. You know, like what? Nobody wants to hear my sexual reawakening. And uh, it took a little bit of convincing. And after a year or so, I decided, yeah, I think you're right. It is kind of interesting. And it, I only thought it once I realized I was going to adapt it into to a movie. And I, I gave the characters names. And I, once I put them into that film skeleton... I could see the interesting part of the story that had nothing to do with me, even though it was me, you know, it's like, I lived that, I did that, that happened to me. But once I put it into fictional, you know, I allowed myself the freedom to make it cinematic. Then I, I could say, Oh, hold on. There's a garbage truck. 
I don't know. Is it loud on your end? No, no. Honestly, your those headphones are isolating it pretty well. Oh my god, that's crazy. Well, and it's that's it's nice. a combination, I think, of just the headphones, but the the new version of the iPhone I've noticed yeah. has some pretty interesting things like that that happen. Yeah, I can't. I heard the brief squeaking of the brakes. That's it. Like oh, as far as I'm concerned, you're alone on a street right now. I can't hear Amazing. anything else. <laughs> no, it's it's bananas out here. I mean, right now it's it's a pretty quiet part of Hollywood, but yeah, um, it is pretty <laughs> crazy. And I'm just going to light my cigarette, and I'll be right with you. I mean, I'm still oh, here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just had to cover the wind. Okay. Um, where were we? Oh, the books. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I. There was a year of my life that was just bananas, but it was also in, incorporating. I was just getting out of a terribly uh, emotionally abusive relationship for 12 years with this guy who um, I had learned betrayed me and stole all my money. And um, essentially, and um, I, the following year, you know, I was in the middle of healing from that. And I decided to take myself to Venice, Italy for the month of January for my birthday. And while I was there, I met this guy on Grinder, and I was there with two friends. And he and I met up met up for coffee someplace. And I introduced him to my friends, and he would take us to like Chiquetti bars and like wine places. And it was a lot of fun to see the real aspect, you know, of what it would be like living in Venice. And about two weeks into this, we still hadn't even made out yet. And I was like, Antonio, I don't live here. You know, I'm leaving the country. We're not dating. I'm leaving the country next week. If we're going to do anything sexually anyway, we need to get this show on the road because there's not <laughs> a lot of time left. And he, he, he said to me, oh, I think you're ready. And what transpired were, were five days worth of essentially, in hindsight now, I would call it tantric sex coaching. It was incredible. I didn't know what the hell it was at the time. I was just, my mind was blown and my outlook and mindset on what is sensuality and, and experience during sex and sexuality. And then also how to, the psychological effects of being so present with the, the person that you're sharing this with. All those things were just mind blowing to me. And one of the, the greatest things that I learned in that time period was how the five senses and how each of us have them, how little we actually spend thinking about them, you know, in, in, in everyday life. And if we stop for a minute and say, well, wait a minute, how do I, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I really hearing? You know, not what am I reading into? Not what am I assuming, but what am I actually experiencing? You know, what am I sensing? Uh, it's pretty interesting to do that. And most of the time we go through life sort of unconsciously and we're kind of checked out. But after having had this experience, you know, I went in into living life in a totally different way than I had before. And literally throughout that year, I sort of woke up my senses, which was pretty amazing. Um, and our culture, you know, traditionally shies away from intimacy, period. Whether it's, you know, people, I, th this thought occurred to me at some point, you know, why do people like having 
sex at night in the dark with the windows and lights off, you know, windows closed and lights off in the shadows, you know, it's like, are they ashamed? Like, is everybody ashamed? Have we been somehow taught to not do it in the middle of the afternoon with all the lights on and the windows open? You know what I mean? And I don't know, just these things, these thoughts sort of came to me. So I, when I was writing this, that book, it was a little different because it was both scary because you're totally vulnerable and you're letting yourself just completely open to utter honesty and also liberating because it's, you know, it's once you've sort of shed your skin, if you will, there's no reason to worry about anything anymore. And so that in, 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 on one sense is, is pretty great, but it was a little difficult. It was, it was a lot harder to put the memoir together than it was the other stuff for sure. Wow. Well, yeah, with it being that that personal and and being that vulnerable, especially through what will be and has become printed text, I, I can only imagine like how how uh, nerve wracking that that could be initially. And it, it looks like you're uh, going to adapt that as well, right? That's the movie. Yeah. So, well, the the whole book, not the whole book, but there's a portion of it, um, which is the first chapter, which is the chapter on uh, Italy. And it is a genuine, true, 100% love story. It's a, it's a gay love story with no anger, no jealousy, no drugs, no conflict. No, I mean, there's a little inner conflict in act one, but it's just a pure story about love. And that demographic, anyway... Uh, doesn't have one of those movies. So the closest was probably Call Me By Your Name. And even in that one, for 45 minutes of the movie, they didn't even talk to each other and they hated each other and it kind of ended badly, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, can't we have our own Eat, Pray, Love or, you know, our Under the Tuscan Sun or like just some beautiful romance, you know, and I thought, well, okay, we do need one. And that should be this. So I adapted chapter one into the movie for what will become Love, Venezia, um, of which I'm now totally cast except one really great supporting character um, is the last one remaining. But uh, I'm real excited. We're going to do that this fall sometime. Wow, that's been, you know what, I look forward to checking that out too, because I, I assume at some point it will be available globally. Yeah. Okay, okay, perfect. No, I really look forward to that because I agree, there's there's nothing out there. And when I saw Call Me By Your Name, for those 45 minutes, I was going, is this how it's going to, this is what, okay, all right. <laughs> Just. I know, it was a little, <laughs> like if, it, it was so beautiful at first. It's yeah. like, why do we have to just, you know, it, it, it's so interesting because a, a few times when people were reading the script for the new one, they would make comments about like, like my co-producer who lives in the UK. She said that when she was reading it, she kept thinking in her mind, she was like, Oh, he's going to get hurt again. Oh, something bad's going to happen. Oh, what's going to happen. You know, like she kept reading with this fear of dread that something terrible was going to happen. And when she realized there's this beautiful scene, um, and when you get there, it's almost over anyway. When you get there, she said she just started weeping, partly out of relief that nothing bad did happen, 
But also she said it was so beautiful the way it just went there. And I was like, oh, how interesting, because since this was a true story, you know, I hadn't thought of the, the possibility that the audience might be being misled to going somewhere and then having some tragedy happen, you know, because I knew that the tragedy didn't happen. So when I was writing it, I was just adapting it from what happened to me. And I thought, oh, interesting. If I would have set out to write a, you know, fictional story that either to deliberately mislead the audience to get to tragedy, I probably would not have been very successful at it because, you know, you have to like, that's like telling, you know, murder mystery when, you know, you know who did it already, you know, you're trying to like pretend you don't and like the clues and all that business. Like that, I think would have been a lot harder um, than this, but yeah, it's a really beautiful um, sharing of what I've learned and my experiences and, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm very interested to see how it turns out. She said when she finished reading it, she walked outside and she just looked at everything differently and the colors were more vivid. And I don't know, I'm, I'm super excited and jazzed for this one, for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm jazzed for you as well, man. It, it sounds like not only a wonderful story, but looking forward to how you how you shot it, how you directed it and and the performances of it. And uh, I, I know I'm running short on time here, but uh, I will skip into you've put on so much as far as you know potential advice and points of wisdom go um when it comes to someone who's looking to become a filmmaker but i want to see if there's anything you've held in personally uh as far as advice goes that you could easily pass on to someone who is either making a film right now or has ambitions to become a filmmaker oh there's so many little things i can tell you <laughs> one of my favorite ones actually there's two i'll tell you two okay because well, one's a little complicated and we could talk for three hours on it. And the other one's pretty simple, which is, I'll tell you, I'll still tell you both. But the first one is, there is no such thing as a problem. Did you know this? I, I have o- heard of that. Yeah. The only thing that truly exists is your reaction to a situation. Period. And whatever situation it is, either you move through it, you deal with it, you uh, solve it or you it just it, move through it. You know, there's no such thing as a problem. So there's no reason to react to something uh, in a way that might be not beneficial to you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, the other one is a little bit harder to unpack, but essentially, simply, it is that there is no such thing as judgment. Judgment is a construct. and there is no such thing as good, bad, right, wrong. The only thing that exists is what is. Things, things are what the, how they are. And that's just are the, as they are. It's like this tree, you know, is very different than that tree or this palm tree is very different. But neither one is good or bad. You know, that's not like a bad version of this tree. It's just a tree. It's its own tree, you know. And if we are constantly looking at this palm tree, trying to compare it to this tree, we are missing everything about this palm tree that makes it unique. So when you're telling a story or you're about to make a film, there's no such thing as a bad film. The film is just as it is. And you can either appreciate it as it is and see what's there instead of comparing it to everything else, or you miss what's there because you're constantly saying, well, yeah, we're constantly saying, uh, you know, like we just were, call me by your name, ended badly. It was, they hated each other for 45 minutes. But by doing so, by saying, oh, I wanted it to be happy. I wanted it to end, you know, we're missing the point 
of the fact that it didn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the whole point of learning that lesson is what it's for, you know, that story was the story for that story, you know, um, and there's nothing good or bad about it. It just is how it is. And so once you sort of have those two things as a creator, it really frees up your mind to not worry, to not second guess yourself, to just do what you do, do what you love, go for it and keep going for it, you know, and know that there will be people who it resonates with and people it won't. And that's just how it works. I, I love that. Uh, yeah, and I could absolutely unpack that for three hours. Like if I was there, we would be on the stoops till probably five o'clock just talking about it. Uh, totally. <laughs> it's so awesome. Um, in addition to that, is there anything I can give a shout out to or promote within the episode notes for this episode? Obviously, you know, being your book, but if there's anything else I can put out there as well. Um, well, I have a bunch of stuff on Tubi and Amazon Prime right now, um, which I'm excited about because it's sort of titles of mine from my library that haven't been able to be seen for quite a while. And uh, when the rights reverted back to me, I made sure to get them out again. And so they've all sort of been re-released. And I have a link tree, um, link tree slash Balderson, maybe. I don't know. Okay. If, you go to, if you go to my, my Instagram and Twitter profiles, the link tree link is there. Okay. Cool. Um, and that has been everything. Links to every one of the movies on all the different platforms, links to every one of the books um, and other stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, I, I'll dive into that for sure. You know, I um, I had such a blast chatting with you, man. I know uh, we're going close to time. We're ending perfectly here. But uh, I have one more thing before we we go. And that's what I like to call an awkward goodbye. So oh. I'll just give you a, a silent three, two, one countdown. And when I point to you, just give me your best verbal and visual awkward goodbye. And we'll end the meeting on there. Does that sound good? Great. Yes. <laughs> awesome, Steve. Man, this was so much fun. I will have to it was have so you much back fun. on the show for a, for a longer talk because um, this has just been awesome. But um, until then, let me go ahead yes. and give you the countdown here in. I guess. Well, okay. We'll see ya. Okay, bye.